Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for your kindness and goodness to us, most particularly through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, Father, we address the topic before us this morning, we pray for your spirit to open our eyes to see the wonderful things of the word of God. Flood our hearts with believing faith. We pray in Christ's name, amen. In uh, that wonderful book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes as follows in chapter 7 and verse 2. He says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Better to go to a funeral than a party. In thinking about funerals and funeral services, one common feature of a funeral service is what's commonly called a eulogy and often a time of remembrances. This is a time in the service, the funeral service, when people will typically stand and will give public testimony of what they recall about the the life of the deceased, what stands out to them. Uh, in that moment from that person's life. And sometimes those testimonies are really wonderful, and they they speak about a a committed Christian life that has touched and reached many, many people. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can be kind of sad when some people's lives are summarized by things that are trivial and temporal. How you and I, beloved, will be remembered, what we leave behind is directly determined by how we live our lives in the here and now. What we invest ourselves in, what we value, what occupies our time. In a word, we could call it our legacy. We could call it our legacy. And we live in a very fast-paced, consumption-driven society, and one of the consequences of that is that I think many give little or no thought to the future. Little or no thought to the future. Little or no consideration of what they will leave behind. But on this Father's Day together, what I'd like to do with you is to slow down together, to just sort of step out, if we can, of the hustle and bustle of our lives, even the concerns for whatever is happening this afternoon to celebrate Father's Day. Let's step away from that and take a little bit of time to contemplate the topic of legacy, the topic of legacy. Our concern for legacy comes from understanding our own mortality and caring more about the future than we do about the present. And that is countercultural. That is countercultural. So as we, this morning, address the topic of legacy, and I've entitled this message, and this is a message, by the way, that has been on my heart for a long time, and I have been really looking forward to the opportunity of sharing it with you. I've entitled this, What Will Be Your Legacy? What will be your legacy? And I want to get at the topic of legacy, and I want to do it through, again, a question and answer format. So what I've arranged is five questions that will help us understand legacy and seriously pursue our own. So five questions to help us understand legacy and seriously pursue our own legacy. So question number one as we start out together. What is legacy? Let's just start with that. What is legacy? The word legacy is typically brought up in financial planning discussions among the wealthy. That is often where the word is used. It has a number of, of synonyms and uh, that, can, that can be used for it. And, and what I did as we began, I, I just did a simple internet search. 
for the word legacy, to, to see what would come up, to see what, what ideas are commonly associated with it. And, and so I arrived at, at these. These are a couple of the top searches. Legacy is, quote, an amount of money or property left to someone in a will. An amount of money or property left to someone in a will. You can see how the financial planning aspect is so prevalent there. It has synonyms such as inheritance or bequest or heritage or endowment, a birthright, all kinds of ideas along that line. Another search result was, quote, a gift, a legacy is a gift of property, especially personal property as money by will. Again, a bequest or anything handed down from the past from an ancestor or predecessor. So those are the kind of the typical ideas that are associated commonly in the topic of legacy. But what I'd like to do is, is move beyond the, the discussion of the financial realm. And instead, I'd, I'd like to get at the topic of legacy in a much broader way, a much bigger way. Because it is much more than simply um, uh, some sort of, of a financial gift from one generation to another. There are much more important concepts of legacy that, that I want to talk with you about this morning. So I'm going, to, I'm going to give you my own definition, okay? To answer the question, what is legacy? Let me give you my own definition of legacy as I try to get my arms around it. And so my definition goes like this. Legacy is anything tangible or intangible that is passed from one generation to another. Anything that is tangible or intangible that is passed from one generation to another. Proverbs 13.22 is a verse that always uh, hangs around in my mind, and it says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Legacy is driven by a sense that we are connected to something much bigger than ourselves, something that precedes us, something that will outlive us. Reminded of the words of Jacob there at the end of Genesis, verse 29 of chapter 49, where Jacob says, bury me with my fathers. There's a, a connectivity that Jacob feels to the generations that have preceded him. We could say, again, uh, part of my definition here, we could say that legacy is an interconnection across time with a need for those who have come before us, a need for those who have come before us, and a responsibility for those who will come after us. So you see that idea that it's bigger than us. It precedes us, and it, and it will succeed us. Legacy. Let me give you some examples of the, these ideas of tangible and intangible assets that are passed generationally. Under the realm of wealth, certainly wealth is part of the idea, but in the common things, property or money or investments are commonly thought of as legacy gifts. But I'd like to expand that definition for you to think a little more broadly in these things. How about tools? Tools can be very much a, a tangible legacy kind of asset that are passed generationally. A family library. A family library is a legacy kind of gift that connects one to the preceding and succeeding generations. Artwork is also a legacy kind of item, not a consumable, but something that is passed generationally. So wealth can be more than simply a stock and bond portfolio. We can think about legacy in the terms of life skills. This is a more intangible kind of aspect to our legacy. So, for example, homemaking, the ability to cook, uh, to bake, to sew, these are life skills that can be passed generationally and ought to be passed generationally. We can think about mechanical skills. The ability to fix stuff is a legacy kind of handoff, father to son, generationally. A strong work ethic a strong work ethic is a, is a legacy kind of gift that is passed on generationally. Critical thinking skills. 
Critical thinking skill, the ability to, to evaluate an argument and, and, to, and to draw logical conclusions from the facts. That's a legacy kind of skill. Even public speaking ability is a legacy kind of item. So under life skills, there are, there are, these are just a few examples. There are many, many life skills that, that can and ought to be passed on generationally. Under the realm of education, a love for reading is a legacy kind of idea. That books are important, uh, the family library, but, but the idea of reading, reading to your children, reading with your children, that you might influence those future generations. Not just with the skill of reading, but the, the selection of the books that are read. The idea of, a, of the pursuit of lifelong learning is a legacy kind of item. It's a legacy kind of item. And then, of course, spiritually. Our spiritual legacy, and, and one example of that is a, is a commitment to the Word of God. An ironclad commitment to the Scriptures is a legacy from one generation to another, reminded of Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, where he says, Timothy, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. A commitment in love of the Word of God is a legacy, is a legacy from one generation to another. Beloved, legacy is something that can be constructed. This is an important idea. Legacy is something that can be constructed and is thus worthy of, of serious thought and serious endeavor. Serious thought, serious endeavor. Let me engage your minds here this morning in a thinking exercise on this Father's Day. A simple thinking exercise. If I were to ask you to summarize your family identity in three words, three separate words to, to gather up your family identity. In other words, what makes your family unit stand out? What are the characteristics of your family? What words would you choose? What words would you choose? Oh, could be an example. Here's, the, here's a couple of ideas to get the wheels turning a little bit. How about these? Our family is, is about this. Sports, busyness, children. That's what our family is about. Sports, busyness, children. Or here's another. Our family is about music, laughter, and church. Music, laughter, church. Or one more. Our family identity, our family is about family. Friends, food. What characterizes your family? What three words would you choose? And let me expand this thought exercise with you a little bit. And by the way, I, I, I ask you to take it seriously. Go, go home this afternoon and ask yourselves, ask your children, ask your spouse. But let me expand the thought exercise with you just a bit and, and say, if you could choose three words to characterize your family, if you could choose three words, what would you choose? What three words would you choose? And why would you choose them? What would you choose and why? Question number one, what is legacy? Question number two, why is legacy an unavoidable reality? Why is legacy an unavoidable reality? The answer is very simple. It's because God is triune. The answer to that question is God is a trinity. That is why legacy is unavoidable. Father, Son, and Spirit exist eternally in a perfect, loving relationship one with another. 
and we, made in his image, are thus unavoidably relational by design. By design. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God is relational and made in his image. You and I are unavoidably relational as well. That's what makes legacy an unavoidable reality. In other words, as a result of our birth... We are, we are relationally connected to other people. It's just the way it is. And this relational connectivity leaves a mark on other individuals. It is unavoidable. The mark may be large or small. It may be good or evil. It may be positive or negative, but you and I will leave a mark on others. And that mark is your legacy. That mark is your legacy. The impact of legacy, beloved, has the, has the, has the potential to change our families for generations for generations, including generations that that you and I will likely never live to see. Again, as part of this idea, we are relationally connected through time. Let me try to illustrate this, this reality here of, of this idea that the potential to change, significantly change, is part of our legacy. Let me do it just from my own life. So if you'll permit me three simple, and I'm not really a big fan of doing lots of illustrations out of my own life, but they're near and dear to me. So let me just try to illustrate the idea here with just three illustrations drawn from my life. There is a saying with regard to legacy that, that goes something like this. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And what that expression is trying to capture is the idea that, that a, a generation that, that is living economically disadvantaged often works hard and, and in that process begins to pull themselves up economically and to, and to achieve a measure of, of wealth. That wealth is then passed on generationally to their children and from their children to their grandchildren who have little appreciation for what the grandparents have done and the wealth is often squandered. The wealth is often squandered. We see the, by the way, often in the immigrant community of, of that first generation working so hard that their children and then their grandchildren might have much more than they ever did. My family, just a bit of biography here, my family, many generations ago, had a thriving intergenerational woodworking business that employed many, many family members. That business, through a series of mismanagement decisions and, and a stock market crash in, uh, in 1929, led to its bankruptcy. And in the bankruptcy of that family business, my father learned a work ethic. The, the, the understanding that you had to work hard if you, were going to, if you were going to be able to survive in this world and to, and to get ahead at any measure. And that work ethic that I saw in my father was passed on to me and my siblings. That is a, that is a legacy that is the result of a catastrophic business failure in a very successful intergenerational family business. It's legacy. Let me give you another illustration. 27 years ago, Carol and I moved to California. 
our willingness to, to leave where we were and were very happy and, and to move here to California has had a legacy result on our family that will be generational, generational. And, and here's where, what I mean. Our four children, we came here with four children, and these four children grew up in this church. And every one of those four children found their spouse in this church. And as a result of those marriages, we have 16 grandchildren, with a 17th on the way. Had we not moved from Texas to Southern California, our children would have never met their spouses. And the grandchildren we have would not be. That is a legacy. It is a legacy of a decision to be willing to follow God's leading and move. One last one, if you'll permit me. Neither Carol and I grew up in a Christian home. We were both saved. She late in high school, me late in college. We met, fell in love, married, and made a conscious decision to establish a Christian home, something that neither of us had come from. And that decision to establish a Christian home and to, and to build it upon the gospel, and certainly not perfectly, but that decision to build our home upon the, the gospel has had a legacy impact on our children and on our grandchildren. And it has also had an impact on others in this society and will likely have an impact that neither she nor I will ever live long enough to see. It's likely there will be people I will never meet until heaven that have been impacted through the legacy of a decision of of two college kids who got saved and chose to follow Christ in their home. These are legacy kinds of decisions. We can build a legacy. Third question. If we're talking about building a legacy, then an obvious question is, what are the aspects of a Christian legacy? What is it we're trying to build? What are the aspects of a Christian legacy? And there are many, many, many. And to build a legacy requires intentionality. It just doesn't happen on its own. Oh, we will build a legacy to be sure. That's unavoidable because relationships are unavoidable. But to build a Christian legacy requires intentionality. It requires effort. It requires thought. It requires prayer. But let me suggest to you some aspects of a Christian legacy to to try to stimulate your thinking here on a Father's Day. Aspects of a Christian legacy. What are they? Well, first, disciples left behind. Disciples left behind. We have the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Disciple-making is an essential part of a Christian legacy. It is an unavoidable part of a Christian legacy, making disciples. It also happens to be one of the most difficult parts of a Christian legacy to measure or quantify, which is probably exactly the way God wants it, by the way. But as we think about disciple-making in the context of legacy, I think we're compelled to first begin in our own homes. To first begin in our own homes. And I say that because in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and, and verse 4, when Paul is laying out the qualifications of a man's suitability to be an elder among a local congregation, he must be one who manages his own household well. 
In other words, his his disciple-making ability is measured first in the context of his home. And a man who makes disciples in his home is then a man whom we can look to as as qualified to, to help others make disciples in a much larger context. Certainly in this idea of disciple-making of our children. You can't avoid Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so, you haven't opened the Scriptures yet. Go ahead and do it. Open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This very, very famous section of the Pentateuch where Moses writes to the children of Israel, as they are now camped east of the Jordan River, ready to cross over and enter into the promised land. And the law is being given to them a second time, to a new generation, the old generation having passed away in the wilderness because of their sin and rebellion. So Moses speaks to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, And I'll pick it up in verse 6. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, they are to occupy every sphere of life. These words, you are to pass them on generationally to your children. Not just in some formal, hey, sit down, I'm going to teach you something kind of approach, although there's a place for that, to be sure. But they are to so dominate our lives, their lives, that they are to be part of the warp and woof of the family home. Making disciples first of our children. This is is a necessity. This is an absolute part of a Christian legacy. Disciple making at home. But it doesn't end there. And and I'll flip you over to the New Testament to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, where the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his child in the faith. And he says here in chapter 2 and verse 2 of 2 Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you take the time and to look at the verse closely, there are four generations. Four generations. You, there is Paul, there is Timothy, there is the faithful men, and there are the others that Timothy is to pass the the Christian faith on to. So there is the the idea here of disciple-making is an intergenerational activity, an intergenerational activity. Cross-generationally, we make disciples in our homes and outside our homes. So what are the aspects of a Christian legacy? First, disciples left behind. Second, Christian character. Christian character. Things like honesty and integrity, And prudence, self-control, hard work, generosity, hospitality, these are the Christian character characteristics that are that are transmitted generationally as part of a Christian legacy. Proverbs chapter twenty and verse seven. We find the following A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Blessed are his sons after him. Third aspect of a Christian legacy is the gospel itself. The gospel itself. This is our greatest treasure. 
you are a child of God this morning and you have a small bank account, as most do, you have the wealth of the universe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? In other words, if you were to have a scale to weigh it out and you put the gospel on one side and you put the weight of the world's wealth on another, and he says there's no profit there, there's no balance. The gospel far outweighs anything else that we could leave to our heirs. Paul speaks of the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. We have this treasure, he says, in earthen vessels. It's a treasure to be passed on generationally. Our understanding and, and diligent teaching of the gospel to our children and our spiritual heirs is an essential component of fulfilling the Great Commission. The problem often, though, is, as our friend Colin Marshall has rightly observed, the first generation believes the gospel, the second generation assumes, that's how he would say it, assumes the gospel, and the third generation loses the gospel. Oh, wait a minute, haven't I heard that? Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. The gospel is your greatest treasure. Make sure you pass it on. Fourth, there is material provision, some with more than others, but the material provision that has been provided to us in this life by God is part of our legacy that we pass on, and not just the amount, but here, this is super important, the knowledge of how to use it wisely. Not just the bank account, but the knowledge to use it wisely, use it in a God-honoring way. How many people have enriched a foolish son because they failed to pass on the knowledge of how to use wealth wisely. I think about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The knowledge to use it wisely, in other words, to invest it for the advancement of the gospel, for the growth of, of the worldwide disciple-making mandate for the Christian church. This is the knowledge of how to wisely use what has been invested or entrusted to us. Now again, my, one of my favorite Proverbs, right? Proverbs 13.22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, a good man does think generationally and provide financially for his grandchildren. But it's not just he leaves them a bank account. He leaves them the knowledge of how to use it. Proverbs 22 and verse 9, He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Generosity is a, is a legacy skill. Generosity is passed on generationally. Again, Paul's words in 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The responsibility to care for our parents, our grandparents, our siblings. This is what the wealth is for. 
not consuming it on ourselves with the latest gizmo or gadget that we just can't live without until six months later and the next one comes along, huh? Well, I've lost count here, but aspects of a Christian legacy, another is, a, is loving, grace-filled relationships. Loving, grace-filled relationships where repentance and forgiveness is practiced. Relationships, family relationships, family friends is part of a legacy. It's part of a legacy. And relationships take large investments of time. Relationships require large investments of time. And that means for some, there has to be a reordering of our priorities in order to seriously pursue relationships. Friendships are very, very valuable. Very valuable. Oh, here's another. A peaceful and hospitable home is another aspect of a Christian legacy. Again for the Proverbs, Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Better to be of small and humble means in a home that is characterized by, by its peace and its, and its loving hospitality than to be in a rich man's place with everyone at each other's throats. Another aspect of a Christian legacy is a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview. The psalmist says in Psalm 36 and verse 9, in your light we see light. In other words, as we understand reality the way that you have created it, O oh God, we understand it rightly. And so a, a Christian worldview is built on the components of, of intellectual curiosity. We cultivate intellectual curiosity in our children and in our grandchildren and in future generations because it, we are, it's built upon an understanding that we live in a rational world. That we live in a world that God has created and it is a rational world. And it's worthy of, of ende uh, the endeavor of examination. Listen, if this world were as random as all the evolutionists tell you it is, it would be a colossal waste of time to do science. What foolishness that would be. But to stimulate in others an intellectual curiosity has always been associated with the Christian church. Always been associated with the Christian church. Part of a Christian worldview is, is discernment. Developing discernment. We, we looked at this some weeks back, right, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 10. Learning what pleases the Lord. Developing discernment in our own, in our own hearts and minds and, and teaching others how to be discerning as well. How to separate the wheat from the chaff, the true from the false. And finally, we've spoken of before, but a commitment to the Scriptures a commitment to the Scriptures is essential for a Christian worldview. It is the plumb line. It is the carpenter's square. It is that from which all other measurements are taken. Commitment to the Scriptures. Another aspect of a Christian legacy is wisdom. Wisdom is an aspect of, of Christian legacy. It is, it is the idea of passing on years of difficult learning so they don't die with you. I mean, the older you are, the older I am, the, the more God has taught me, and what a colossal waste it would be to die with me and not pass it on. You see this in uh, Proverbs chapter 1. I'll turn you there. Proverbs chapter 1 in the, in the father's words to his son. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. The preamble to God's book of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. In other words, we have learned a lot, son, don't let it die with us. Listen. 
hear, heed the wisdom of an older generation. Retain it, value it, pass it on. Oh, one last one here. One one last aspect for you to consider this morning of a Christian legacy, and that is a, a commitment to Christian community. A commitment to Christian community. I think a serious consideration of legacy leads inevitably to community. To community. And the reason I believe that is is because an understanding of legacy leads us to understand that, that life is about more than just me. It's about more than just me. And that leads us inevitably into community. Valuing Christian community, valuing a local church, a local body of believers, the love of the brethren is a legacy that is passed on generationally, disciple to disciple. Fourth question. Fourth question out of five. Does legacy determine destiny? Does legacy determine destiny? In other words, perhaps a sizable piece of the legacy that has been left to you is pretty ugly, pretty unchristian. Is is your destiny established by that? Are Are the sins of your forebearers destining you the answer of course is no the answer is no one only has to consider the lives of the kings of israel to see that that bad kings produced good kings and good kings produced bad kings it is not inevitable either way Either way, if you have come from an unbelieving home or a, or a troubled environment, it does not have to control you. In fact, it must not control you. And again, we go to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 to hear Paul's words where he says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, and this is true of all of us because we have all received the legacy of Adam But Paul says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old man which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new man, which in the likeness of God is being created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. If you come from an unbelieving home this morning, you come from an environment that is, that is just bad, it does not control you. It does not control you. The Word of God would say to you, you must put these things aside. You must put them off and walk in the Spirit. But I will say beyond that, that I think it is helpful if you recognize whatever, the, whatever your past is, that you recognize that in the loving providence of God, that your past is part of what he used to bring you to himself. To bring you to himself. All of the messed up stuff. If your life had been perfect, if you had grown up in another home, a different home environment, you would have never come to know the Lord. You would have never come to know the Lord. He used other people's wickedness to accomplish his good purposes. And how can I make such a statement as that? Because that's exactly what we are taught in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 on the providence of God. Where there Joseph, whose brothers sought his death in the most cruel of ways, And Joseph responds to them with with the faith that you and I should emulate. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. 
He says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Listen, there are many people, no doubt in your background, who have meant evil against you and have accomplished evil against you, but God means it for good and God redeems it to draw you to himself and to make you who you are. Accordingly, cultivate a grateful heart. Cultivate a grateful heart for your family. And thank God for for the evidences of his grace in your family, no matter how dark it is. Listen, the fact that you are sitting here this morning means that your mother chose life. She may have never made another choice to your advantage, but she chose life, and you are here this morning. So be grateful. Be grateful for your mother and your father and for what they have done in your life. Beloved, through the power of the gospel, you can break the cycle of generational sin. You can break it. Maybe your background is that of divorce, generationally divorced, broken single-parent homes, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, a cycle of sin. Maybe it's alcohol abuse or, or drug abuse. Maybe it's anger that has generationally transpired in your family. Maybe it's crime God forbid, maybe it's sexual abuse. Paul says to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, such were some of you. He categorizes there some of the most horrendous sin patterns and says, such were some of you, but you have been washed, but you have been sanctified, but you have been justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, all has become new. Listen, the pattern of generational sin can and must be broken, and that is your legacy. It is your, it is your legacy. There's another side to it. Bad kings producing good sons. The other side is that good kings produce bad sons. We have to realize that that a Christian legacy is not guaranteed in the sense of believing children and grandchildren. They are not guaranteed to us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is not on the basis of our ancestry. It is not on the basis of our parenting. It is not on the basis of baptism. It is not on the basis of church membership. Jesus makes it very clear, or John makes it clear, in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, where he says there, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, each and every individual must face God alone. They must recognize their need and humbly submit themselves and flee to the cross of Jesus Christ and to call out for his saving grace. You cannot save your children. You cannot save your grandchildren. You cannot guarantee their redemption. However, however, The scriptures are also equally clear that God uses means. And the means that God uses are families and extended families and church families. And so we find these notions, for example, in the book of Proverbs in chapter 22 and verse 6. Where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There is hope in that verse. 
Or Paul's words to Timothy over in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Can raising your children in a Christian home guarantee that they will become Christian? No, it cannot. Can raising your children in a Christian home with a serious effort to pass on a Christian legacy put them in a best position to hear and receive the gospel? Yes. Yes. Pray. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your great-grandchildren. And preach and live the gospel before them. And trust a merciful God to save. Sixth and finally... Or fifth, I'm sorry. Fifth and finally. I lost count there. Five questions. Fifth and finally. Can I recover what the locusts have eaten? Can I recover what the locusts have eaten? In other words, as I, I reflect on my life to this point, and I, and I see some glaring mistakes... Can I recover from this? The answer is yes. Yes, you can. Because legacy is a continual building project. That's the beauty of it. As long as you live, you are building a legacy. And so there is always time for course correction. Always time. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. The rest of your life. If you are to recover what the locusts have eaten, it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. It it begins with acknowledging before God those places where you have failed, those places where you have not seriously considered, those places where you have served yourself rather than others. And it involves repentance before those others whom you have failed. To own it, to acknowledge it. To say, kids, I have screwed up here. I have sinned against you. And I have failed in these areas. Will you forgive me? Beloved, you can teach your children so much about forgiveness by seeking it from them. We repent. And then we move forward in faith. Faith believing that obedience to God's word will be blessed. That he will bless obedience to his word. And that we are not to fear the consequences of a, of a behavioral change. You know, I can't change what's happening. It'll be way too painful. The consequences will be way too great. No. That's fear. That's not faith. Faith says, if I do what God says to do, he will bless the result. Even if I can't see it. How do I recover? Repentance, faith. Third, intentionality. Intentionality. In other words, I I begin to move forward here in an intentional way. I I make real changes. Not just an emotional thing on on a Father's Day Sunday morning that I forget about by Monday. But I become intentional here. Where what is it that needs to change? And I start making changes immediately. The course correction begins now. Listen, hey, when you're lost, you can keep going in the same direction, but it doesn't get you any less lost, right? you got to make a U-turn. love that little lady who's always speaking, not this lady. I love her, really. But, the, the, you know, the little one that says, make a U-turn here. 
You got to make a U-turn. And then finally, here it is, finish well. Finish well. It matters less how you start the race than how you finish. Finish the race well. And that is so encouraging because if we're still in the race, and if you're sitting here this morning and you can fog a mirror, you're still in the race. And if you can't fog a mirror, there's a doctor in the house. You're still in the race. You're still in the race. Last fall, I've thought seriously, been thinking seriously on these things for quite some time, but but last fall I was listening to a podcast of a particular individual, just kind of stumbled across it actually, and at the end of the podcast they said that this individual had written a book about legacy. And that really caught my attention. And so I did what, um, what I normally do when I hear something that catches my attention is I put it on my Amazon wish list. I use it as a place marker. So I put it on my Amazon wish list. It's called The Intentional Legacy. It's a book. Well, my beautiful wife bought it for me for Christmas, this past Christmas. So over the Christmas holiday, I read the book. And I really liked it. I really liked it. In fact, I liked it so much that I bought copies for all of my children and sent it to them and said, Dad would like you to read this. And by the way, Mom and I are coming up next summer to visit, and when we do, we're going to have a family feast, and we're going to go over this book. (laughs) So read it. I mentioned it to my brother, Art, and and he went out and bought it, and he really liked it. And In fact, he liked it so much, he started buying it and giving it to all kinds of people. And then we bought it, and we gave it to the elders. And the elders have all read it, and they really liked it. And so we have 200 copies of this book sitting on a table outside on the patio. And it is a Father's Day gift. And this is what we want, okay? I want to encourage those of you who, right, husband, wife, is to take a copy of this book, and this is your summer assignment. Okay, if I can give my kids an assignment, and they're all grown, right? If I can give them an assignment, I can give you one. Here's your summer assignment. I want you to read the book together out loud, husbands and wife. If you're not married, I still want you to take a copy of the book. This is not just a book for men. This is a book for anyone who is thinking seriously about these things. Listen, if we run out, we'll buy more. Now, don't take six copies for your family, okay? You know, be reasonable about this. But, you know, maybe maybe you're in your late teenage or college years. And some of the things that I've said this morning have have resonated with you. You know what? I wish I'd have thought about this a lot earlier in life. I would have done some things differently. So if you're you're in that place and and the Spirit of God is moving in your heart this morning and and you want to think seriously about this, then you take a copy of the book. It's not just for married people or for adults, whatever that means. Okay? So you got that? If you're our guest this morning, if you're, if you're with us this morning, visiting with us this morning, I want you to take a copy of the book. Be blessed. Okay, you got it? What are you going to do when you leave? All right, I'm going to take a copy of the book. That's like the bare minimum. Come on now. What are you going to do? You're going to read it. That's it. You know what? You can put it under your pillow. just doesn't work. Believe me, I tried to get through Greek in seminary that way. You know, it just doesn't work. You got to read it. You got to read it, but you're going to like it. You're going to like it. Let's pray. Father, grateful for our time together just to consider these things. And Lord, we want to be serious minded people. We don't know how many days we have on this earth. 
But we know we're here with a purpose. Life is not random. You've made us unavoidably relational. We're touching people all the time. And so, Lord, as we just kind of think about that, certainly beginning in the, in the closest circle of our own homes, but then as it widens out to coworkers and, and schoolmates and neighbors and just all the various relationships that we have, every one of us, Father, help us to be intentional. Help us to, to just think beyond the today. We're, we're in a world that is just obsessed with consuming today. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That, that's how the world is living, and that's not how we are to live. So, Father, we pray today you would help us. Help us to... Make whatever changes we need. May this be an important day for us, a a marker in the sand that we could look back to. We could say it it was Father's Day 2018 that we made change. Help us, O Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.